Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Can you be taught empathy? Several Liberal and Nationals MPs are currently undergoing enforced empathy training after either their behaviour towards women was called out or because they're part of a culture in our nation's capital that needs to be addressed. But can you actually teach someone to be empathetic? Today, we speak to someone who does exactly that to find out why some need to be taught the tools to walk in someone else's shoes. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. What is empathy? It's the capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing within their frame of reference, the ability to place yourself in another person's position. It's often confused with sympathy, but that means you feel concerned for someone else and want to help because you know in your mind that they're feeling something negative, but you don't feel it within yourself. There are different forms of empathy. Effective empathy is the ability to share the emotions of others, those who feel pain strongly within themselves when seeing others scared or in pain. There's cognitive empathy, the type therapists or psychologists have, the ability to see and understand the emotions being experienced by another person in a rational way, but not by feeling it yourself. Then there's emotional regulation, the ability to control your emotions when confronted by others in pain, something a vet or a doctor has to use to control their emotions when dealing with the sick or dying. Empathy requires you to be both self-aware and aware of others. You can't just copy something that resembles empathy. You have to feel it. A lack of empathy would be doing something like trolling women on the internet until they feel like taking their own lives, apologising for it, and then making comments that make it very clear that you didn't actually mean that apology. That's the behaviour that led to Queensland Liberal MP Andrew Lemming being asked to undergo empathy training training that he would be doing while on medical leave from Parliament. But this isn't the only time empathy's been considered in light of what's happening in Canberra right now. It took Scott Morrison a discussion with his wife to imagine how he would feel if it were one of his daughters, and not Brittany Higgins, who was allegedly raped on the couch of a minister's office in Parliament House by a colleague. Many questioned why he wasn't able to find empathy for Miss Higgins before putting his family in the picture. Empathy seemed to be missing when Linda Reynolds, the former Defence Minister, called Brittany Higgins a lying cow for saying she felt she wasn't supported in the wake of her sexual assault in Minister Reynolds' office. 
Despite the many stories coming out of Canberra about women who say they've been bullied, sexually harassed and assaulted, belittled and forced to keep quiet or lose their jobs, Liberal Party Vice President Tina McQueen allegedly told several people in a meeting that she would kill to be sexually harassed at the moment. She also allegedly said, let's talk about women not getting drunk at work. Liberal Senator Erica Betts allegedly said about Brittany Higgins that her being so drunk she would sleep with anybody put national security at risk. He also allegedly brushed off the allegations of an historic sexual assault by former Attorney General Christian Porter, saying it wouldn't go anywhere because the woman involved was dead and the law would back Porter. These comments, and so many more coming out of Canberra right now, show an extreme lack of empathy for the alleged victims of these crimes a lack of ability to place themselves in their shoes and understand the impact the trauma has had on their lives. So some of those MPs have been asked to complete empathy training, a course that will allow them to see the other side of the story, to understand how it feels to be on the other side of the fence. So how does it work? Catherine Tay is the founder and managing director of consulting firm FutureEye. Among the many services her company provides, including helping workplaces identify and deal with outrage triggers and competently handle the challenges of reputation, sustainable development, political ramifications, regulatory threat and technical complications, they also teach empathy. Catherine, why do some people struggle with empathy while others don't? The struggle with empathy happens when people have lack of understanding of what it might feel like or be like to be in another's shoes. And so that can happen based on not having experience of it or feel like it's an imposing set of morals or feels like it's uh, untruth. And so people who are fixed with a perspective and haven't been curious enough to engage on all of the different perspectives that might be able to come to bear on a topic don't have that agility to then understand how it might feel from other people's points of view. So when you say to somebody, hey, stand in the shoes of what it might be like to be a Indigenous woman in Australia, for someone who's not known Indigenous people, not been in Indigenous communities, not understood what it might feel like to be a woman or engage with women about that, and then you're standing there as a white man and you're asked to stand in the shoes of a Indigenous woman, it's a pretty difficult thing to do. It seems like a lot of the discussion that's coming out of Canberra at the moment is on gender lines. It seems that we're in a moment where it is a battle and it's men versus women. Are men, especially those in a position of power, are they more likely to lack empathy? Do they find it more difficult than women? Women seem to be more empathetic. Is that true? Well, I don't know whether it's necessarily along gender lines because there are men that are incredibly empathetic and there are women who aren't. But if we were going to stereotype the situation that we're in, then let's say we're in a patriarchal society, we have patriarchal institutions and therefore the likelihood that the rules suit men and not women is greater. So then how do you teach an individual empathy? Can you teach an individual empathy? You can. So the way we do it has some dimensions. It has to give people some experience of understanding how someone else might feel depending on how you approach an issue. 
So, for example, one of the training programs we do is a listening one. There are five different levels of listening. So the first level is self-focused listening and we have people reflect on what is it like when someone you're talking to is using everything you're saying to talk about themselves versus the fifth level is generative listening where you're listening to somebody and you're able to reflect back to them the kinds of things that they see as important but also give them some insight and generate new insight for both of you. And when you're at that level of listening, what does it feel like? And then both the listener and the speaker can talk about their relative experiences and that gives some people a real aha moment. Can you give me a bit of an overview of some of the ways in which you try and get people to, I mean, we've talked about listening. What else can we do? Interpreting. So in terms of expanding people's emotional literacy, one of the really important areas we think is outrage, understanding what triggers people's outrage and having some understanding about those 12 factors can really help you interpret what's going on for them. So the 12 factors include things like if they perceive that you have control over risks that will impact on them, then the level of outrage goes up. And if they perceive that trust is low because it looks like you've lied or you've been non-transparent, then outrage goes up if you've been unresponsive. So as you can hear me go through these things, Each of these factors so far are a feature of what's happening in Canberra right now. Women are feeling like the risks to them are not in their control and that the institution isn't responsive and the outcome isn't fair. So, you know, they're all predictable triggers of outrage. And what outrage does is it unifies individuals, societies to drive public policy change. It's both an understanding of what provides emotional insight for yourself, as in if you understand these factors, you can understand what's going on. It also helps you address them. So if you can hear when someone's concerned about, say, for example, a loss of control, then there are mitigations that you can put in place that would enhance their ability to control their risks. And, you know, some of those are features of the debate that we've got, like, Surely, if you've been raped, a pamphlet is not sufficient and you need to overhaul on structures and systems to stop sexual assault. There needs to be other controls that can be in place to reduce the risk of sexual harassment and bullying. So putting all of those controls in place is going to enhance the ability for women in parliament, women working in politics to feel like there are some controls that mitigate that threat. Catherine, do you feel like the empathy training that's being handed out to the MPs who are embroiled in controversy in Canberra right now, do you think that their training will lead to effectual change in Canberra? If you go to any form of training because you've been told to without a desire to do it, then the likelihood of learning anything out of it won't be very high. If, on the other hand, you come to it with an open mind and a desire to learn, then there's all sorts of opportunities at an individual level. But it won't just be individuals being trained that will make the institution more empathetic. The institution itself needs to go through a journey and become an empathetic institution. 
So, you know, we think there are various gateways that any organisation needs to do in order to improve its interface with society. And empathy is the first step in improving its engagement, improving its consideration of diverse perspectives and being able to reflect and include and build cohesiveness is absolutely the next group of steps to take. Do you think we should have been as critical as we were of Scott Morrison who said that he found his empathy after speaking to his wife and realising how he would have felt had his daughters been in the same position as Brittany Higgins. Is that an effective way to discover your empathy? I think that if you have no experience of what it might feel like to either be raped or you haven't known anyone who has been raped and you find it a challenge to understand how difficult it would be to be that threatened and that at risk that you need to talk to someone who has been, then yeah, I think that the curiosity is a good thing. It really changed my life when I was able to engage and talk to people I know who have been sexually assaulted. The fear and the anger and the experience for me is now visceral. You know, A, I could imagine it previously, but it's even greater now that I've actually spent time with women who've been sexually assaulted. So I don't mind that Scott had to ask, and I don't assume that everybody is knowledgeable about everyone else's perspective. And I particularly think it's challenging for someone who's very powerful, his Prime Minister, to imagine what it would be like to be powerless. Empathy, just like everything in life, needs to be something we have in moderation. Too much empathy would mean that some people who face tough situations, like paramedics at an accident or firefighters at a house fire, wouldn't be able to do their jobs in helping the people involved because they'd be so emotional at how that person is feeling. It can also lead to overprotective behaviours, like those who start to feel more empathy for those in their own situation. Someone who might find themselves storming the capital in order to save the country from the evil they perceive to be befalling it. We can also experience selective empathy, which is why you may feel more invested in the victims of a tragedy in another country if there are Australians involved. It may also mean you only feel empathy with those who look like you in your own ethnic group. It could mean you don't feel empathy for someone of a different gender to you. Too much empathy would mean we wouldn't be able to preserve our own well-being while also caring for others. But we've also seen what not enough can do to those around us. Some are now calling for an empathy revolution, one where we all learn how to practice it healthily so that not only do others benefit, but so do we. Everyone's lives are enriched when we can all walk in each other's physical, psychological, social and spiritual shoes. Maybe we could all do with a little empathy training. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by Siobhan Moran-McFarlane and myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if you're a true crime junkie and want to find out a little more about the Luna Park ghost train fire that's recently been exposed by an in-depth investigation by journalist Carrie Meldrum Hanna, check out this recent true crime conversation. So you've ruled out accident, firecracker, siggy butt, electrical fault, the insurance job, they're all out. So then it's, okay, you're at arson. Was this deliberately lit? That possibility, the police should be open to that, right, at the very beginning. 
not coming out and saying it's an electrical fault and ruling out suspicious circumstances and asking so quickly when they haven't spoken to everyone. So it all loops back to the beginning. What on earth were the police doing right there and then in those early stages? Because everyone knows they're the crucial moments. That's your window. Right after the event, that's when you've got to keep that open mind. No blinkers. So if it's arson, why would someone set fire to the ghost train? Why would someone want to kill kids? Mm. Maybe they didn't mean to kill kids. But that land is so valuable. We're talking about one of the last remaining absolute waterfront, harbour foreshore parcels of land left in Sydney. So there's a lot of money at stake. If you're a developer, yeah, absolutely. True Crime Conversations, in your favourite podcast app now. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.